Hello and welcome to the Hush Blackwell Labor Law Insider Podcast. I'm Tom Godar, your host, and I'm glad that you've come along. In this podcast, we welcome guests with practical expertise and experience regarding labor law issues, and they share their insights related to this ever-changing area. The breadth of developments in laws related to unions and individual workers' rights that we are experiencing under the Biden-appointed National Labor Relations Board and led by General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo is unprecedented. These developments demand that employers and those giving counsel to organizations stay tuned into these changes and make necessary adjustments to their practices and to policies. When President Biden was elected, he promised to have the most union-friendly administration ever, and he is fulfilling that pledge. So buckle up and hang on for this wild and wonderful ride in the world of labor law. Welcome back to the Labor Law Insider. I am excited to be joined by two of my colleagues from Hush Blackwell, Tricia Moore and Adam Dorr. And we're going to talk about something that you haven't heard about much, at least on our podcast. That's decertification. It's a pretty exciting area, and it's been highlighted recently by our uh, work watching and seeing what's going on at Starbucks. There have been so many elections, you can be assured that there's also some decertification attempts taking place there. And that's what gave us the inspiration for this. So the labor law insider is going to take a look at how sometimes employees take the risk of finding their way past a union organizing campaign that might have been completed 13 months before, might have been 35 years before. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. But first, I want to uh, introduce a little more fully my colleagues who are joining me. Tricia Moore is working in our Kansas City office, and uh, she has a unique background to bring to this because she spent 14 years of her early career uh, working with the National Labor Relations Board as an investigator, taking a look at all of the crazy things that employers and more often employees bring as potential unfair labor practices, but also being engaged certainly in elections and in her practice uh, over the past several years. Tricia has advised clients and advised employers on labor and employment law. She's also one of the uh, ones to watch in Best Lawyers. And more than that, she's a foodie who travels all over the world. Come on, give us a little bit of insight. What's the most interesting meal or thing you've had to uh, had the chance to eat while you were traveling, Tricia? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say maybe one of the most interesting things that I've actually tried that I enjoyed, uh, lime-flavored crickets. And in what country did you experience that culinary delight? Th that was in Mexico. All right. You didn't have to go very far for that one. You didn't, Fant no. <laughs> Fantastic. Adam Dorr has joined us several times before, and it's always a delight to have you. Adam, thanks so much for joining us again on the Labor Law Insider you are practicing around the country, um, but your office, uh, when you show up and it's not 140 degrees, is in St. Louis, right? That's right, Tom. Thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm told that you have a special skill that would shame me uh, uh, in under a minute. What is that special skill, Adam? Well, in uh, undergrad, I picked up a uh, the Rubik's Cube and uh, learned how to solve that in under a minute. So it's not the um, it didn't earn me the coolest kid in school award, but it uh, helps me pass the time in between bargaining sessions from time to time. 
Hey, I love it. In both cases, they're relevant to your practice. One is problem solving and the other is experiencing something new and making it taste good. Great to have you join us at the Labor Law Insider. Hey, as I started out, we're going to talk about decertifications. And briefly, that is when unions um, have organized a bargaining unit at an employer and the employees under the law uh, must initiate, if they choose to, a process which could result in an election. And that election, unlike getting a union, would say the union role of representing that bargaining unit is over or decertified. Um, How much of this kind of activity are we seeing take place, uh, Tricia, in this new world where we have a pretty union-friendly board uh, and union-friendly decisions coming? Are we still seeing decertification opportunities for employees? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. This information is available to the public on the board's website. So I'm maybe not telling our audience anything that they haven't looked up or that they can't look up. But it's interesting because um, in 2022, there were over 1,700 petitions filed just for an election, you know, including petitions for union representation. And around 300 of those filed, a little bit over 300, were decertification petitions. But when we look at, you know, a span of over the past 10 years, I mean, the numbers fall around the 300s, mid twos, maybe hitting upper fours. But really, I mean, the numbers haven't changed dramatically as to decertifications over the past 10 years. So with regard to, you know, if we might call it a union-friendly board under President Obama or President Biden or a more employer-friendly board under uh, former President Trump, employees are still seeking ways, at least a small percentage of them apparently, of trying to rid themselves uh, of a union. Um, How does this seem to be playing out um, in terms of the flood of Starbucks elections that we've seen over the past couple of years where there's literally been hundreds of petitions filed for elections for Starbucks. Are we seeing any decertification activity uh, in that area, Tricia? We absolutely are. So when I look at the numbers for Starbucks petitions, in the past three years, so since 2021, there have been 500 Starbucks petitions filed. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um Obviously, not all of those went to an election, right? About 16 of those 500 have been RD petitions, and all 16 of those have been filed within the last year. Um, We know that out of those 500 petitions, about 300, I think close to 340 um, of those stores have actually elected union representation. Not one of them has a contract right now. And, you know, some would argue that because of that, that that's why these 16 RD petitions have, have been filed. So I take it, um, since you didn't talk about results, that none of these RD, that's insider talk for the oh. certification <laughs> petition, none of these um, have gone to election. Is that right? They haven't. So what's actually happening is, um, so you're right, RD, a um, decertification petition, an RC would be a petition seeking union representation. So as to those 16 decertification petitions, what's happening is the board regional directors are saying, hey, look, we have countless ULPs. Uh, Quite frankly, I believe that the board has ruled that at least 144 stores have failed and refused to bargain following union uh, certification. And regions have said, hey, look, 
you know, we have these ULPs. Starbucks has delayed in providing the Starbucks Workers Union with dates for initial bargaining session. They failed and refused to meet uh, to bargain for a first contract. And the regions are assuming that the ULP allegations are actually true and they're just dismissing the petitions. They're saying we're not we're not even going to hear anything about it. So I think it's interesting from my perspective as someone who actually worked for the board for a number of years. I've always seen the board as, uh, you know, when people listening to this podcast may dissent, but you know, the board, <laughs> the board is, uh, they have a process for, you know, uh, allowing employee free choice, right? And it's interesting to see that that doesn't appear what is happening actually here. They're just saying, no, we're, we're not going to process these. And then some might say, well, you know, why is it that the RD was even filed in the first place? So again, we look to the ULP allegations and others might say, well, from an employee perspective, maybe employees determined that the union wasn't right for them. Um, right, maybe we don't have a contract, but some time has passed. The union isn't really what I thought it was. Our reasons have have changed. And I think one thing that's really important is to remember that these Starbucks stores, I mean, they're small bargaining units, right? I mean, there could be 12, 15, maybe 20 employees. And so let's say you had one bad manager in there. And we all have worked on campaigns before where employees were interested in a union because of one bad manager. And so you get that bad manager out there, out of the store, and hey, guess what? We don't need a union in here anymore. I'm not saying that is the reason, but it's one to consider. You know, Adam, one of my first uh, ARDs, one of my first certifications was not at a a bargaining unit that had been recently certified. It was because um, the employees who were trying to move up the ranks, at least so I understood it, felt it was too hard to do so because union secu uh, seniority provisions prevented them from moving into new positions with higher responsibility and higher pay because they had to stand in line behind those who had more seniority. So that would be one reason that even a more a mature relationship might be taken uh, on by employees who wish to decertify. But one of the reasons, whether it's within the first year or so after um, a bargaining unit has been certified by the board or later, what are some of the reasons that we know of that employees might choose to decertify or try to? Tom, I think there are a lot of good reasons why employees might choose to decertify a union that's representing them. And one of them could be, as Trisha alluded to, is the frustration at the bargaining table. Um, I, th I think that's symptomatic of a, of a broader reason, which is that there, there could just be um, a lack of fulfillment of the promises that they were given by the union. You know, the, the union comes in uh, trying to sell everybody on on fixing their individual issues. Um, but truth truth be known, uh, as you suggested, Tom, unions operate on seniority and majority rule and and those kinds of principles that don't necessarily benefit everybody, especially those who. Um, might see themselves as stronger performers or or seeking opportunities to move up um, if they don't feel like the seniority system is benefiting them or, or that in the majority rule system of collective bargaining, if, if their desires and, and wishes aren't being met, um, then, then they can have a pretty powerful uh, campaign against the union uh, after they've already seen you know, what's behind door number two, so to speak. Well, it's not unusual for employers to say, give us a chance when a union uh, organizing campaign starts. Well, at this point, 
now the union has shown up and the employees have a chance to see what really is taking place. I understand, of course, as do our listeners, they're a sophisticated group, that a lot of first contracts don't get negotiated or take a really long time. And that can be frustrating after employees have been told that, um, you know, great things are about to happen. You're going to get a buck an hour, $2 an hour increase, and your benefits are going to be better and you'll have more flexibility. One of the uh, questions, though, that I've been uh, challenged with, and I know that you have as well, either one of you might jump in on this. I guess I'll give Tricia a first uh, run. Why might an employer who's looking at employees circulating a petition or maybe even having presented a petition to the National Labor Relations Board signed by 30% of the bargaining unit say, you know, I'm not really thrilled with the idea of losing this union? What would, what would be behind that kind of attitude that occasionally occurs? Some industries, I mean, think about the construction industry, right? I mean, you may not function if you don't have a relationship with a union. Um, Within that same industry, third parties might not want to do business with you unless your employees are organized. So you may not function. You know, some industries as well, there's just a preference to be unionized. Think about car companies, right? Can you imagine Ford not being organized? I imagine there's an executive or two who could imagine that every three or four years, but yeah. (laughs) That is very true. Um, You know, some clients also will tell you, look, our relationship, it's protracted, it's positive. There's no reason to to get rid of the union. It's almost like they're part of the family at this point. And sometimes they can see the union as a buffer to maybe implementing some changes that they want to, that maybe the union agrees with, or if there are difficult employees or a difficult difficult workforce, the union can definitely be a a buffer. Um, Sometimes the relationship, it's workable, it's positive. And so why would we want to disrupt that? Picking up on that point, um, there could be a company that has, for example, multiple locations whose employees are represented by the same union or different local of the same union. And so they don't want to maybe spoiling the relationships there uh, especially with upcoming negotiations, for example, it's it's kind of tough these days anyway. It's it's better to, in some contexts, maintain those existing relationships. And if you're also in a union-saturated geographic area, thinking about California and New York City, um, it may not be an option of getting rid of a union. It might be getting rid of this union. Um, And so you might just be creating a power vacuum where now you've got an opportunity for a different union that maybe you don't have those established relationships with coming in and um, kind of starting from scratch. And that can be, um, you know, a whole nother set of headaches. Kind of the devil that you know. Kind of. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for that explanation along with Trisha as to why sometimes employers are, well, shall we say, satisfied with an ongoing relationship that might have matured to a place that's um, appropriate. Uh, But I do want to spend some time talking about the more difficult process that an employee must initiate or employees in which an employer might engage in decertification. So this is a good time, I think, to take a break and look forward then to uh, having you join us, uh, Tricia and Adam, for part two of the Labor Law Insider. And thank you so much for our our listeners, our friends to the Labor Law Insider for joining us. Uh, Share it with your friends if you enjoyed it. Take care and we'll see you soon.